if a movie that I was really looking forward to go and see, which is Top Gun 2 uh, and James Bond, if, if, those, if, if, if those movies were being released in the movie theater, I would still not go. Can you make, can you make $800 million from $30 uh, a pop streaming? Speaking of streaming services, lo and behold, another, the Paramount Plus. I don't know what Paramount's uh, game is because they're not releasing new content all that often. Um, you know, I know they have a Paramount channel that, that is probably watched by two people at the Paramount Studios. Marketing is always the number one thing to go. Mar- times, times are tough. Marketing dollars go. You have no marketing dollars. You can't. You, you don't have, why would you have a marketing team to spend no money? Long term, some of these brands are going to be handicapped um, and maybe permanently. Maybe they will be permanently unable to bring the level of talent back that knows the business, that has the passion for the business. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Huchua, and I'm joined by my partner once again, Alex McNamara. Hey, Alex. Hey, Gorsha. Good evening. Good evening. So this is our weekly ad talk edition of the show, and it's a format where we discuss news and events in the world of marketing that we found to be the most interesting. We invite you to send us your thoughts and questions via LinkedIn and Instagram, and we'll soon have a website live with all of the previous recordings of the show. All right, now let's get on with today's episode and leading off the news that made the rounds in uh, in the last few days uh, from the marketing standpoint, maybe more of the media standpoint, is that Regal Cinemas is shutting down again due to lack of movie releases, and um, the question um, I have is, is this really a temporary shutdown? Will these uh, cinema chains really be able to weather this, this, this storm? I think it's a drought of content. It's a drought of, um, of movies being released. Um, I read the release or their explanation, and they sort of point the, the finger at studios, uh, saying that without... Uh, the studios supplying the content, they really don't have um, a way to remain open, which which is interesting uh, because uh, I look at the situation and if a movie that I was really looking forward to go and see, which is Top Gun 2 uh, and James yep, Bond, absolutely. If, if, those, yeah. if, if, if those movies were being released in the movie theater, I would still not go. So is yeah. this, is you know, is, is this really the... Is, is this really the issue that content is not being released or is it the issue that movie theaters are just fundamentally not safe places in people's minds to go to regardless of what's on the screen? What do you think? I think, I, I think it's, it's the latter. I think the, the, they're not releasing the movies because they know that no one's going to go watch them and it's, it's going to really hurt the bottom line if they release the movies and don't get the, you don't get the profits back to pay for the movie so that's what they've pushed back james bond that's what they try to push back tenant i think tenants launched worldwide to like 150 million so far it needs to make 800 million for it to to break even so they're not studios aren't going to do that in you know release them now and they know no one's going to go in 
and it sucks for cinemas because that's basically all they do. Yeah, they're not they they can run old films for five bucks a seat as much as they want, but you know, no one's gonna want to go if everything we've been told is don't go inside, go somewhere with good ventilation and don't be near people. The movie theater is like the worst place to be for all of that because you're sitting inside with probably not great air filtration and circulation. And yeah. it's just I, I don't want to go. <laughs> I better yeah, yeah. go inside now. I, uh, I, I've been wondering why uh, the drive-in has not made more of a comeback. And I've been looking, you know, in LA, there are now more drive-in theaters um, where people can watch from the comfort of their cars. Uh, they're not bespoke sort of purpose-built drive-in theaters, but rather uh, shopping malls are repurposing their, I guess, the top floors of their garages, putting up screens and showing older movies. Um, yeah. It seems like if you really want to maintain some um some habits um around movie watching uh doing something like that makes sense my fear is that people are going to almost sort of not want to come back long term um to the movie theater i i i i can't wait to go back um i don't think a drive-in is a substitute to going to watch it in person because you don't have the same sound because it's either coming through a speaker next to you or the radio in your car um you don't get the same surround feeling from the screen either because you're further back I but think. i also then, but i but i also don't get the surround feeling of someone chewing popcorn and talking loudly over me either yeah well that <laughs> we'll go see a matinee then <laughs> but i i think i think they they will come back i just think like with like with me and travel that we talked through a couple of weeks ago it's like the other people need to be safe um for me to want to go back so until we have the you know the vaccine or the the medication to cut down the the detrimental effects of covid i think that's one thing that you're going to have which is going to be a real issue do you think movie theaters are wise to sit on these blockbuster releases and wait until the next year or you know whenever it's uh it's going to be feasible to release them or should they uh or should they go direct to uh, TV and you know charge 30, 40, 50 bucks for people to watch them, knowing full well that it's not the intended environment, but that's how a lot of people watch movies anyway? The, the studios? Um, yeah, the studios. Should the studios release direct-to-consumer, direct-to-streaming platforms? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I... I mean, yes, I think if you wanted to generate revenue and this is not your like one of your key blockbuster films of the year, probably you should be doing that. And I think that's what they are doing at the moment. I think Enola well, Holmes, yeah, Enola Holmes, that was supposed to be a theatrical release and now went straight to Netflix. Um, I think the, um, but I, but like the you know, Top Gun, James Bond, they tenant, they need to be you know, in the theater, if they're going to generate as much revenue as, as possible. But you don't think, you don't think that they can um, ask 30, 40 bucks off from people to rent. Like there's no, there's no real big movies coming out right now. And people are sitting at home sort of starved for content. It's just more garbage on Netflix, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, backlog, backlog. No, seriously. But like, uh, that's another question yeah. we can explore down, down, down the road a little bit, but I think there's going to be this, you know, there's not going to be any content available because they would have gone through everything because nothing's getting filmed right now. Yeah. Um, so can they fill that void? Do you think like a blockbuster movie like the James Bond movie can come out? And yeah, it's not going to be on a ginormous screen, but it will be something that you can rent for 30 bucks and watch with your family. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Mulan is the is the best example because apparently the I haven't seen it. I refuse to pay Disney thirty dollars on top of my Disney Plus um, subscription, and uh, but also apparently it wasn't the best live action remake of of a classic. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't done too well. But I don't know if that was because it was on streaming or if that was just it wasn't as good as everyone thought the hype was going to be. Um, I, I think that if they released James Bond, I think everyone would watch it. I don't know if it would make the same amount of money if it was in theaters. Well, I guess we'll see. I think I, I sense a, a difference of opinions. I think um, mm-hmm. movie theaters are kind of screwed. And I think that um, studios should go direct to, uh, direct to consumer. Uh, for the next couple of years, I mean, I think if you, I mean, I think if you've got a good sound system, and I think this is this is maybe where everyone should be looking to 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 go is if you've got a good sound system and a decent TV, you can you can replicate the. I, I think the sound is the most important thing. Is everyone has crappy TV speakers, and and I was very much in the camp of why we need a soundbar, and then we got a soundbar, and it completely changed how. I thought of my TV speakers because I thought we had decent TV speakers and then I got a soundbar. I was like, this is how it should be. This is what it was mixed for. So I think if you have a, a decent setup, then yes, you should. Th- you would probably watch it at home. You would probably watch your James Bond. You'd watch, I'd watch Tenant, James Bond. I'd probably pay 30 bucks to watch Top Gun as well. I've heard more than the popcorn that, is free. The popcorn, the popcorn is going to be free. And it's, <laughs> the it's popcorn's just... free. The beer is free. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, no, I'm. I mean, yeah. So preaching to the can you make, can you make eight hundred million dollars from thirty dollar uh, a pop streaming? Uh, yes, because I think Netflix is doing that with garbage. <laughs> Again. All Again. right. All right. We solved this one. Yeah. Um. But speaking of streaming services, lo and behold, another. The Paramount Plus um, was was announced recently, and it is another um, uh, streaming service that has all of Paramount's content and the differentiating the the I I I'm I don't know why they have it. Um, I don't what, know what what content does Paramount have? Just because it's not obvious to me. I'm sure they have something, right? What is what... they have something. I don't know, to be honest. I really don't know. I don't. I, I saw an ad. They announced it. it. It seems all they were all very happy about it, but I don't know why they have done it. Like, why did NBC launch Peacock? Why does Paramount launch Paramount Plus? Like, you can see why Disney would because they have such iconic content. Um, but you're not. But you're not being like an aggregator like the Hulu or the the Netflix. Um, you're not a free service which has access like a like a Tubi. Um, you're not you're not doing what Quibi tried to do was try and be different. And we've talked about that before. But at least they had a a, a point of difference, even if it was terrible. Um, but I don't understand why Paramount have done this. Like, is it do we need another streaming service? Do we need no a, a studio to release its own content on its own platform and charge you ten dollars a month for it? Do you really care about what Paramount has as much as you care about the the you know the, the the well as you said the garbage on Netflix. So I don't I I don't know if this is like actually what actually something that they they needed to launch, or if it was just like the studios 
and their ego trips. Like if you if you drive around LA, all you see is billboards of studios and the new content they're releasing, which is basically um, a like look at me we're so you know we, we've got this new content and it's not for people it's for the other people working at studios so it, it just feels like they just launched it because everyone else is doing it and it's gonna not I, do very I, well yeah I, I i think i again garbage um i mean i'm sure that paramount um I, it's the mountain, the little stars, right? You know, that come across your screen. Yep. And usually it means that you're about to settle in for a two-hour movie. So I, I so like Disney was, Disney made sense, Disney Plus, because they have yep. um, a variety of content. Netflix, Pioneer, um, Hulu, uh, you know, their own proposition. The NBC, the Peacock thing, okay, NBC is responsible for producing a lot of TV shows. Um, and they... Yep. And to me, it's sort of like almost like a TV replacement thing, partially. You get SNL, you get those types of things. Um, You know, and they do have rights to sports that at some point I can see them adding in, sort of like uh, Disney Plus is doing with ESPN Plus. Yeah. I don't know what Paramount's uh, game is because they're not releasing new content all that often. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I know they have a Paramount channel that, that is probably watched by two people at the Paramount Studios. Uh, so it's really the it's, it's really <laughs> yeah. the movie. So no, no, I don't think I don't think anyone is sitting there and thinking like, man, we just wish that Paramount would launch a, a channel because I really want to watch that Paramount movie. No, like if you want to watch a movie made by Paramount, it's likely because you missed the movie, not the studio, and you go on Apple's whatever rental thing and bop and just rent yep. it from there, right? Like I don't need the subscription service. My question to you is, will does it? Will, would you pay 50, 60, 70 bucks for an aggregator that would just like pull all of these things together like would you pay a premium on top of like all the i don't know like would you i don't know if i'd pay a premium to have it but i would definitely pay a sum of money to have five or six of the of the subscription services pulled into one and have like a netflix hulu paramount plus espn you know that kind of like you know what that's called you know what that's called that's called cable tv that's what cable Wait. TV is. You 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 pay for a you, you pay for three things you want to watch and you get three hundred channels of garbage. Wait, they did this. They did this already. How do we get to this point where we're doing it again? Oh man! <laughs> but seriously, like I, I, Apple have just done this. They launched it in their last um, doodad where they had you know you can get um, Apple. Apple TV, another one, Apple TV Plus. I haven't seen any of the new content. I've had it for a year and I haven't literally have never watched it. Um, Apple TV Plus, you get um, Apple, the arcade, you get uh, Apple Music and something else. Probably fitness. iCloud subscription. Fitness. fitness. Yeah, fitness. That actually looks pretty good. Um, but I have Peloton now and I'm, you know, diehard Peloton. Um, but yes, so they, they, that they've combined everything together. And that's one subscription in an ecosystem that makes sense. If they did that for like a Netflix, an ESPN, a Disney Plus, a Hulu, then you know maybe. But why would you? What we've they they launched Netflix for a reason, so we wouldn't have to spend eighty, ninety, a hundred bucks a month to have right. tons of garbage that we don't want to watch. And now we're back to that. And I I'm bet. Sad. I also I also bet that. Um, no one who has access to uh, several platforms is. I bet there's a bunch of sharing going on. No one is paying for all, all of the platforms. You know, if you have if you have access to Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and Hulu and Disney Plus, I I bet there is some 
password sharing, um, permission sharing thing going on. Like I know that I share my Netflix account because you can legally Netflix yeah. allows you to with uh, three other people in two different households. So it's um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas versus like an aggregator would basically force you to just pay for the whole thing. Is there money being left on the table, which is probably the way that these businesses think about it? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Um, I mean, the reality is well, I think that if you, people... if you go, I think if you, if you got Paramount Plus, you'd be able to watch um, such iconic titles as Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and then, uh, hold on, as well. oh, uh, South Park and um, The Daily Show. So I guess, I guess The Daily Show, I've been trying to figure out how to watch that legally for a while because I really like Trevor Noah. But like, I'm not going to watch the, the Hills, New Beginnings, Will Smith, Gemini Man, whilst it was um, pretty amazing for the um, CGI it was a not good movie and but they also have bumblebee the transformers film which was released at some point right and the world gave it i think I, I basically i think in the in the in 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 the in the world that doesn't exist anymore these movies would be classified as the kind of movie i'd, I'd watch on an airplane yeah fighting off insomnia yeah, so, traveling to Boston. Yeah, traveling to Boston. That is a longer flight than you think. It is so much longer than you think. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, last last show. We spent a lot of time talking about the future of retail, how it's going to be all contactless, um, or is it? And uh, an interesting uh, development, as if Amazon is listening, they yes. actually came up with or came out with a new announcement where they're going to uh, roll out these terminals, turnstile type of thingies, where uh, your palm, your palm print, is going to be the thing that lets you into their stores, their Amazon Go stores, which is really an evolution on their current um, setup, which is the one you described, where you yep. take the app uh, on your phone. It's kind of, cl- I mean, it's neat, but it's you know, now that the palm thing is is, is a thing, it it feels clunky. So they're gonna use your palm print as an authorization mechanism to let you in. So think about this: you can pay with your palm. You yeah. can you can walk into that store, stands your phone, and just pay with your palm. So you can be, um, I mean, that's I, I don't know if that's a game changer, but it feels like it. I mean, also Amazon will just have your palm print in their database. Yeah, this is this is um, it's like it's it's great, and I and I love the idea of it, and it's it's something that is not um, like it's not your eyeball scan it's like a fingerprint scan it's not your facial scan so it feels like it can't be tied to anything that's already in the governmental system um or you know wherever else it could be but also they need it they they were like it's not going to be identifying for you but inherently it has to be identifying for you because otherwise it would make no sense but i think you know being able to walk into a shop scan your palm do your amazon go shopping and leave with no wallet no phone, no apps. You get your credit card already loaded. It actually connects to your Amazon account, obviously. So that's amazing. Like the the technology needed to do that, and the privacy that they have to do because they've been under more and more scrutiny, especially with right. the Ring, the Ring camera fiasco, and the the launch of the Amazon little the flying flying camera robot thing, which is also wild. Um, but I uh, but I think it's I think it's great. But I think. On the on the flip side, we had some we had we had great feedback from Mark Whedon uh, at 
Whedon. Um, he, he, you know, he was thinking more about the community side of things, more of the social impact. And the, you know, I think in, in two ways at both ends of the age spectrum, if you start to get rid of the cashiers, you lose like entry point jobs for, um, for high school kids, you know, people who just need to make money, who want to get into the workplace, understand all of that. You lose people who do that as, as their full-time job. Right. Um, and, then, and then on the other side of the cashier uh, register, uh, other side of the conveyor belt, You've got the folks who, you know, older older generation who maybe don't get out that often. Who, you know, it's hard for them to move out, move out, move and get out the house. So they go to the supermarket, and then maybe their whole week's worth of social interaction is with the people in the shops, and the cashier point, and they build a relationship with that. So the contactless shopping, you know, from a speed and logistics and a payment processing is great. But the social impact, you know, may take its toll. And, you know, you've seen this with, with a lot of the sort of entry-level jobs being replaced. And I sound like a troglodyte kind of trying to, you know, stop progression and technology. But, you know, it's it needs to be done in a way that's thought through. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, I have it's a, kind of... I, I, I have a, yeah, I have a viewpoint on this that that references to some things that sometimes still surprise me that still exist in this country. One is... Um, uh, toll booth attendance, and the second thing is uh, people at the gas stations to pump your gas. Uh, yes. In most of the states, these things are bygones; like they were sort of phased out in the '90s. Yep. And there are some states where they still exist. For example, in New Jersey, you can't pump your own gas; you have to. And Oregon, is it okay? So, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I was. I, yeah. I, I do remember being surprised by that. So, and I actually remember talking to a lady at the Oregon gas station who, who was filling up my car, um, who said that uh, with the introduction of that, they created something like 13,000 jobs. Um, toll booth attendance, again, most, uh, in most places they don't exist in uh, some states like in Pennsylvania, and I believe New Jersey, again, they do. And uh, I get it. Uh, they, they do create jobs. Um, but I always think about, and this might be controversial, I don't know, but I feel like the quality of those jobs and the opportunity cost of creating those jobs for the people who are being employed in those jobs is actually fairly high because there are better jobs that probably uh, can be um, can take that workforce and employ them. Um, and I don't want to sound, you know, like, like I know what those jobs are, but I kind of think to like a Starbucks barista, for instance, maybe. You know, could yeah. could the person who is standing at the gas station filling your car be a Starbucks barista and, you know, have a better experience, have a better environment that they work in, earn a higher wage, not breathe in the, the fumes from the cars that are coming in and out? You know, if the technology can solve for some of these things, and we're not getting into the, you know, complete replacement of humans with technology conversation, but just these, uh, jo- these types of jobs, shouldn't we uh, look at how it can free those people and maybe incentivize them and push them into something that's just maybe a little bit higher qualified and a little bit better for them. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, I think maybe 50 years ago when it was, you know, you could have one job and you could afford to pay a mortgage and raise a family in a, in, in one, like a job like that, it may, it would make sense. But I think now even, even, even now you'd have to have multiple jobs in order to right. pay your rent or pay your mortgage. So I think, yes, it, you know, how do you, how do you stop a job 
midway through someone's career and get them to retrain if they're you know, old, too old that they don't want to retrain or where they find it very hard to retrain. And it's you know, sounding very pompous, but you know, it's it, yes. The point is, I agree with you. Yes. Okay. Well, I think it's a subject we'll continue to visit over and over again. Moving on, not um, not about contactless shopping, but very much contactful host hotel experiences. Um, I got a very lovely email from a hotel chain that basically said, "We would love you to come back. You know, we're hurting for we're hurting for customers. We need you to come back and and pay us for a room night." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, I get that." So they, they were like very nice. They gave me, they offered me a promo code and and the the conditions were, you know, come stay with us now and we'll give you $50 off your next stay. Which <laughs> I thought was the most backhanded way to get you, to give you a promo code and to get you to stay with them because- Were, were you not coming not there only, because of the price? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it just seemed- so backwards that you wanted me to stay and I'll pay you full price now. It may be discounted because they got no one, literally no one staying in the hotels. But even still, just the customer service um, experience of it all, it was like, why don't you just give me the $50 off now so I have a good experience and maybe I will book another night or another stay because I enjoyed how you, you, you propositioned me. But saying will give you a discount on the next one just seemed really sort of we don't want to give you a discount but corporate told us to do this so we're going to do it but we're not going to lose money on it and that's and that's how they're going to do it like i'm not going to stay with you once let alone twice come on yeah i feel like i feel like they're um they're not yeah they're not addressing the core problem which is no one is coming to stay period and so trying to incentivize someone's second stay is to really bury your head in the sand about why someone that someone is not taking their first date to begin with yeah yeah it just it just felt it just felt really cack-handed yeah listen hotel hotels travel companies i really sympathize with you i mean i I love the travel industry i do i i really i really enjoy traveling but right now the next year you're not going to be making a profit you're going to be loss making and uh if your goal is to fill a bed uh or to fill a seat Find a way for me to want to stay in your hotel or fly on that plane uh, that addresses my immediate need. I think, you know, we we have a good example of what Alaska did, which was book a ticket, yep. get the middle seat free. You know, that at least addresses a concern that I may have about getting on board a plane. And I'm still probably not, if I don't need to fly, I still probably would ignore that offer. But if I do need to fly, I might make uh, my choice uh, be about Alaska and that offer, right? Yeah, and I think it was it was more than that. It was book a ticket, get one free, and get a middle seat. So you could Even actually, if bring, you book one bring, ticket, bring two people. Yeah, bring it brings two people, or it gives you the whole row. So you know the concerns around people sitting next to you, people sitting one seat away from you. You know, it even figures out like how do you do multiple rows back so you're not all sitting, you know, window seat all the way back, which right. is great if you're either sides of the plane, but terrible if you're two feet behind someone's mouth breathing. Well, I think this covers us for the blitzkrieg of, um, of news topics uh, more, uh, more uh, next week. But let's dive into a couple of our conversations that we really wanted to get deeper into. 
the first one, um, I'm really at pains to even consider this to be a marketing topic, but I think it's one that probably touches a lot of people in marketing. And um, I can't help but think of, not just sympathetically about the people who are being affected, but really about the companies and the brands that um, will have to deal with this much on, on a much longer basis, long-term basis than, than even the employees themselves. And of course, I'm talking about the furloughs and the layoffs, uh, the terminations, the downsizing that are happening in, um, in certain industries that are being impacted more so than others. Um, we talk a lot about travel. We just talked about hotels and airlines. Uh, they're not able to keep uh, the staff that they have. Those are very um, high cost industries. And so I know that in October, airlines started mass layoffs because the government subsidies ran out. Talking about live entertainment, um, because there is no live entertainment happening. And uh, those furloughs and layoffs started happening a while ago. And um, entertainment in general, we just talked about uh, Regal Cinemas, you know, with them shutting down all of their U.S. operations, they're going to furlough most of the people uh, who uh, who they were employing. And those aren't just going to be movie theater workers, they're going to be corporate people. And so uh, I know this is, a, this is a wider tragedy than just the marketing world. And some will say that, you know, people who've been working in marketing professions um, have been making more money, should have more of a cushion. And I hear all of that versus, um, you know, the front, you know, the frontline workers. But I specifically want to talk about these companies and the long-term impact that these decisions that they're being forced to make now are going to have, because um, they will at some point uh, find themselves in a, in a rebounding economy. They're going to find themselves needing to grow and uh, growth means having people uh, in, all, in, all, in, in all places of your operations, but marketing is one of them. And um, in, you know, from what I read, a lot of the marketing folks are being let go and uh, they're actively announcing themselves on LinkedIn as open for work. And um, those who can, they're um, getting positions in companies that are able to grow right now. And I'm thinking of companies like Amazon um, and others who are um, on an upward trajectory. So it feels to me that long-term, some of these brands are going to be handicapped um, and maybe permanently. Maybe they will be permanently unable to bring the level of talent back that knows the business, that has the passion for the business, that also um, got for a long time the quote-unquote hometown discount. I think about some of the companies I've worked at before who fall into this, uh, into this category. Um, and people were really passionate about working in live entertainment, for instance, right? And they would work there for 10 years, 15 years, 20. I had I knew people who were working in the marketing roles for 30 years. Um, and of course, in that specific company, if you're, I'm not just talking about that specific company, but in any, any company, if you're working for such a long time, you aren't going to incentivize that person the same that you would by bringing someone else from the outside. So I just want to kind of get your thought, man. Uh, you're going to have a whole bunch of companies with completely gutted marketing departments looking to bring people back. Are they going to be able to, assuming that they survive until then? Because they're going to have to pay a premium. They're going to have to hire people from scratch. And it's just going to, like, the culture is going to be missing. Like, what, what do you think is going to be the long-term, um, you know, ripple effect of all of this? It, it seems like a, a miss on... The, the companies looking out for um, current bottom line and not trying to retain as much of the workforce as possible 
in order to be prepared for the rebound. I'm sure, you know, I, there's there's no way you can retain everyone. There's no there's no way. And and you know, I'm sure a lot of companies use it as an excuse to get rid of people who necessarily wouldn't have been affected, but were not were surplus to requirements at companies. Um, but I think companies that have done a good job of you know following following is not the best it's it's kind of it's kind of like the worst of both scenarios but it it allowed you to be you know retained to come back when possible and i feel like the companies who did that did a good job of bringing them back i think if you got rid of your your marketing is always number one thing to go times times are tough marketing dollars go you right. have no marketing dollars. You can't. You, you don't have, why would you have a marketing team to spend no right. money? And and then they're all they're all the ones that are going to go, and all the ones that are doing all the companies doing well, like you said, are the ones that need to hire more marketing people because they're doing really well. So you, I, I think you're right. It's just going to take them. It's going to take them longer. It's going to cost them more money. I imagine it would probably cost them a lot more money than just keeping them and paying their, you know, their salaries. I imagine there's a lot of very very senior people who weren't let go who could have who could have been let go and one salary of those could have paid for five or ten other people who were let go so i think they're gonna have a lot of trouble with the volume when it when it starts to pick up again and they won't be able to hire fast enough they won't be able to hire um efficiently because they're gonna have to take them away from from places where they're getting good salaries right now. You know, I, 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 I think about um, the transformation that um, every single industry is undergoing right now, the, the transformation to digital, uh, just because it's being yep. forced to, they're being forced to these companies, these legacy companies like Bed Bath & Beyond posted record profit in Q2 um, compared to a loss in the same quarter last year. And they credited this to their digital transformation, right? Uh, yep. something they've resisted uh, resisted doing for for years because they didn't see a need and all of a sudden you know this forces them to pivot so think about bed bath and beyond and then scale that to the entire you know landscape of industries so a lot of that work is being done uh, by marketers uh, because the marketer now um, is not just the person who works with an agency on a creative concept that goes up on a TV screen or on a billboard right a marketer now is a is a multifaceted term. It's a, it's an umbrella term for people who understand who who are analysts, who are uh, performance marketers, who are strategists, and um, these are the people who drive digital transformations along with operational people and technology folks and um, and uh, and leadership. Right. So you're actually taking out folks who could be driving that digital transformation now for your business out of the equation. Um, and maybe you can't afford to keep them. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's, a, it's one of those dilemmas that leaders are facing, but um, you're, you're, you're knowingly you know, kneecapping yourself uh, for the long term because these folks are going to go somewhere and they are going to lead those digital transformations at companies that are able to make that investment right now. And so the, you know, the rich will become richer and yeah. unfortunately the poor will become poorer and uh, I think the we're going to have um, a huge divide um, in a year's time that is going to start becoming very apparent of those people, of those companies who are able to retain and find a way to hold on to their talent 
in those companies who said that, you know, for the sake of the stock market or for the sake of our survival, frankly, we need to um, let entire departments go. I keep thinking back to 2008, just to kind of wrap up my thoughts on this topic. I keep thinking 2008 financial crisis. And like you said, marketing budgets were the first things being cut. I was working at an advertising agency at that time. And you had you had big brands just like slashing their budgets, not even because their own businesses were being immediately affected, but out of fear, right? Cost center. Yep. Let's, and then you saw these Cost brands, center. challenger brands that um, some of them were truly challenger brands that were like, you know what? Let's not waste a good crisis. Let's lean into this. And I just remember um, Hyundai. Um, prior to th- 2008, Hyundai was literally a sec- second tier car maker in the country. It was not... Um, respected. It was known for making um, subpar cars and maybe um, it earned that reputation over over the previous period. And they just leaned into it and they advertised the heck um, out of uh, their new proposition that was very in tune with people's pain points and the times. And um, and uh, they gained something like, and I might be wrong, but something like an 11% market share um, just in those couple of years. UPS did the same sort of thing as a challenger brand to, um, to FedEx. And I just rem- remember it kind of thinking about that and, and thinking to myself, you know what? Crises are temporary. Success is way long, longer term. And yeah. going after your marketing department and going after your marketing investment during a crisis and like completely gutting it to the bone, you're going to pay for that for a very long time. I, I think I think what's, and, I, and I, I've, I, mean, I haven't worked client side, so I don't know how all of that works, but you'd think that when people have less, um, less spend, less dollars to spend, they're going to be much more picky about where they're going to spend their dollars. And it, marketing is the, really the only way that you're going to be able to tempt them away from where they are or get them get your brand in front of someone who is about to spend those dollars on some on your product or a product like yours in, in the vertical. So you'd want to be out there more so that you're able to be in front of the people when they do spend that very limited dollar on the the category that you're in you're the one they buy but if you're not you don't have people getting in front of you know marketers who are getting in front of in in more efficient ways or you're not spending the money to be there because you have to spend money for people to know who you are then you're just gonna you fall by the wayside you may be more efficient because you're not spending on on advertising but you're also not going to be getting anyone to buy the product other than your core core audience who will buy it regardless so I, I always, like you said, I was. I feel like the crises are when you should be spending at least what you were spending, but not nothing, because it seems like you just uh, disappear. Again, marketing marketing is a performance tool. It's a it's a revenue generating uh, machine. If you've if you've if you've built it up properly, if you have the foundation, it should not be seen in the old terms, in the terms of the pre two thousands, like a cost center where it was expen- expensive yeah. Super Bowl ads. You know, by all means, rethink your strategy. By all means, rethink which parts of your marketing strategy could be downsized or maybe temporarily suspended. But to just wholesale uh, eliminate uh, your marketing spend. And you know what? Your marketing teams. And not everything needs to have a spend behind it too. But to elim- you know, yeah. to gut your marketing departments, to get rid of those folks, it's, it's near sighted. I'd love to hear from our listeners what they've seen within their networks um, in terms of how companies have behaved, especially curious to hear about which, not specifically calling out which companies, but if you're seeing companies 
make these what I would consider to be short-sighted decisions. Um, or if you think that companies have learned a lesson from the past and they're trying to hold on to their marketing talent. Uh, so drop us a line either on Instagram or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear that. At, at 30 Minutes CMO and at Alex McNamara, um, send us a comment on our posts and on LinkedIn as well because we want to know what you think about this. Thank you for being with us on this show. Uh, we have more topics that we're uh, saving for the next show. We're also excited about our long-form interviews coming back with brand founders and um, senior brand marketers, uh, some of which um, you will, will have heard by now, some of which will be dropping very soon. So excited for those. Alex, thank you for joining me on today's Ad Talk. Cool. Thanks for having me. That was a brilliant discussion. Brilliant discussion. Uh, it's the first one we've done with uh, some seasonal brews in our uh, disposal. Yep. Delicious seasonal brews. Delicious seasonal brews. <laughs> um, thanks for joining. We'll see you next time on mm -hmm. the 30 Minute CMO Ad Talk Edition. Bye bye. See you next time.